everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene. We are so glad to have you joining us, and we hope you're having a wonderful week of patient care. This week, uh, the title of our podcast is Empathy 101, and we have talked about this a fair bit before, but we really want to do a deep dive today. Um, I think we would all agree that in a profession where we share a lot of bad news, honestly, daily, multiple times a day, informing our patients in a loss of their measure of health, which may have long-term ramifications, overall health risks, and costly solutions, we tend to face a lot of skepticism, pushback, and denial. And it's really easy to take on the mentality that our patients don't appreciate what we do for them, they don't value our time or expertise, or that they don't trust in or believe us. We've talked about this in the past, but in order for patients to own their conditions and move forward with treatment, there are often feelings of grief as they accept the diagnosis they've been given. This often looks like denial, anger, frustration, mistrust, arguing, doubt, or bargaining. And as clinicians, I think it's really easy to take these responses personally and feel like they are attacking our credibility. But the reality is that those responses mean they're internalizing what we're saying and hopefully showing them, which is a good sign. Difficult emotions are not problems to be fixed. And I want to say that again. Difficult emotions are not problems to be fixed. They're experiences to be validated. When someone you care about is suffering emotionally, it's really natural to want to alleviate that suffering and help them feel better. And so this isn't when we've got to step in with empathy and help them process the information they are receiving. The truth is that empathy and understanding must precede advice and problem solving. Patients aren't ready to accept solutions for bad news. Mm -hmm. If we're not coming across as understanding and empathetic, it almost, I feel like feels militant if we're saying, well, you have this, this, and this, and you got to do this. Yeah, no one's ready to solve the problem if they haven't fully processed and accepted the problem yet. Right. That's just human. Like, and I think when we're giving information, we want, we we already know what the solution is, but and and it's very human nature also to like rush to the solution and be like, well, I can fix it for you. Don't worry, I can fix it for you. Like, we don't want other people to feel bad. That's part of what it is. But also we're like, but but I have the answer. Like, just, I want to tell you what the answer is kind of thing. Right. And that just doesn't help anyone. We can't like force anyone to process anything faster than they do. Yep. Like we don't have control over that. And I think sometimes we try and make someone process something faster or like, you know, almost pressure someone by offering a solution before they've come to acceptance of their condition, because we almost feel inadequate if they don't accept their problem and move forward with treatment. So it's almost like it's, it's like multi-pronged, 
you know, yeah. like we want them to feel better, but I also want to feel good about myself. Like I right. did the right thing and I, I was yeah. successful and got you to say yes. But like at the end of the day, we don't have control over how quickly or how slowly someone arrives to yes or whether or not they ever do it all. They always have a choice to make, you know? Right. It is. It's really like, it's kind of like this weird seesaw we're on of like, wanting yeah, to feel okay, but wanting us to feel like we're okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So before we dive into empathy and learning how to be more empathetic, I think we've got to understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. And admittedly, as an adult in midlife, like this is something that I didn't really bump into, but, but for a couple of years ago, I never really thought about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for us to understand that as we're thinking about this, this context. So Sympathy is identifying with the feelings of another person, but not necessarily sharing in those emotions. It really has an element of feeling bad or sorry for someone else Mm -hmm. versus empathy is the ability to understand the emotions that someone else is feeling and being able to identify with them. So it's sympathy is feeling for someone. You feel bad for them. Versus empathy is feeling bad with someone or not necessarily bad, but whatever the emotion is, you're feeling it with them versus for them. So sympathy allows you to see someone else's situation from your perspective, whereas empathy allows you to put yourself into someone else's shoes. So some easy, quick examples of the difference between the two is so for sympathy, you might say, ah, gosh, I feel so bad for you. Whereas empathy, you might say, I've been there. I know it's really hard. For sympathy, you might say, oh, poor you. And empathy, you might say, I can understand how this feels. Sympathy would say, I'm so sorry that you're in pain. And empathy would say, I feel your pain. Sympathy gives unasked advice. And empathy listens. Sympathy says, I know how you feel. And empathy says, I feel how you feel. And something that was really impactful for me, I'm, I'm a visual learner. And so I saw this picture and it really resonated with me of the difference between the two. And sympathy was a picture of someone who had fallen down into the bottom of a hole and they were sitting there, you know, with their hands on their knees, you know, looking obviously like they were really distraught and maybe crying. And the sympathetic person was standing up at the top of the hole, Mm -hmm. calling down and saying, Hey, I hope you're okay down there. And then the empathy picture was the same scenario, except the person up top had crawled down into the hole with them and said, Hey, I'm here with you. Let's get, let's get out together. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was really an impactful visual. And I think, you know, we can kind of morph that into a visual for our operatories and what we do with our patients every day. You know, instead of at the top of the hole saying, Hey, you got this, this, and this going on, and we can do this, this, and this, and it'll cost this, this, and this, and it'll take this much time. I think instead we, you know, say, Hey, we've got this going on. Let's, let me get in that hole with you and really delve into what that means for you and how you feel about this and what your goals are. And so we can get out together and map the best plan for you. So 10 reasons why empathy matters. First, it helps us feel connected to each other, which is really important because that's obviously what we're trying to do on the daily. It empowers us to move through life's obstacles, which again, we are doing on a daily basis. It permits us to sit in our feelings because again, having those feelings is important for the stages of acceptance. 
It allows us to feel seen and heard. It repairs fractured relationships. And honestly, this is an important one for us as clinicians. I've had so many times, I had this week, a patient who came in, a new patient who came to us because he said he'd been seeing the same provider for multiple years and just didn't feel like what they were recommending was needed. He just didn't feel like they were trustworthy. They didn't communicate well. And so he was seeking out somebody that would see and hear him and spend the time to listen to his goals and really help educate him. So that's super, super important for us. Um, It brings unlikely groups together. It encourages forgiveness. It It forces us to see each other on a soul level and connect in that soul place. It overcomes shame which we know a lot of patients come in with if it's been a long time and they're embarrassed. You know, we've had those patients that don't want to smile um, and it aids in healing. And again, I think that's important because we've had a lot of patients who've been through some serious dental trauma in the past. I also had a patient this week who came in. She was a hygienist many years ago and it had been a couple of years since she'd been in. And she's like, I'm really embarrassed, but I had a really bad experience with um, a tooth that got a filling and then it, the tooth cracked and I needed a root canal. Like it just, the whole scenario was not good. And even as a hygienist, knowing what she knows, it kept her away because it was so traumatizing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, healing is important for those patients that are coming in with a lot of anxiety and fear, and we can, we can help them through that. Contemporary research often differentiate between two types of empathy. So there's active empathy, which refers to the sensations and feelings we get in response to others' emotions. And this can include mirroring what the other person is feeling or just feeling stressed when we detect another's fear or anxiety. And then there's cognitive empathy, sometimes called perspective taking. And this refers to our ability to identify and understand other people's emotions. Yeah, and I think that this is an important distinction to make because affective empathy So that's referring to the sensations and feelings we get in response to others' emotions. And the example that we're giving is feeling stressed when we detect someone else's fear or anxiety. I think if you're naturally a more emotional person, more of like an empath kind of person, this can be overwhelming. And it might take some uh, intentional effort and kind of intentional practice to practice more of the cognitive or detached empathy or healthy detachment, like being able to identifying other people's emotions, take their perspective without having to take on their feelings yes, and like care more about their problem than they do, than they do. You know what I mean? Cause then you're stepping into like codependency when you're on that side of the spectrum and all this is happening on a spectrum all right. the time for all of us, you know, and I hate giving like blanket advice or like blanket, like this is what empathy looks like. And this is what, whatever, even though these are actual definitions, because everyone's everyone is naturally has such a different disposition. Like for me, I know that I am more affectively empathetic. Like I will take on someone's emotions and like carry it around all day if I'm not careful. So I've had to like step out of that and be like, that's not even healthy. It's not helping that person. It's not helping me most certainly. Like it's just heavy. I constantly feel all all of other people's emotions. It's too much. You know, it's not like right for someone to live that way. It's not healthy. So I think this is a good point for everyone to kind of practice some self-awareness and be like, all right, what is my natural, where, where, do, what is my natural uh, tendency or where, what is my go-to and how can I adopt more empathy so that I'm a more effective listener and communicator with my patients according to like my natural style, you know, and kind of yeah. like regulating our own natural tendency. Yes. 
Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's really easy for me as well. You know, when you hear some hard stories and some hard things, like I find myself on the way home thinking about those people and praying for those people and, you know, just kind of feeling those feelings. Um, I think one of the easiest ways to kind of transition that to more of that cognitive aspect mm-hmm. is to feeling those and stopping yourself to think, wait, this is not my scenario. I feel it. I feel what they feel. So what if I, feeling how I feel, what would I want someone to do for me mm-hmm. in this moment? And then doing that thing, instead of just sitting in those feelings yourself, like this isn't, honestly, this isn't about you. Mm-hmm. This is about them. So empathy is important. So you can feel what they're feeling and you can respond to that. Yeah. So if, if we're talking about, you know, that empathy is putting yourself in other people's shoes, you know, obviously we can't predict, um, although we can't predict our behavior, you can imagine their behavior. You can imagine how you may think and feel if you were in someone else's predicament. It can help you form, feel more empathy for what they must be experiencing. It may allow you to have more grace for someone who isn't the easiest person to be around. And I don't know about you, but I have some of those patients in my chair sometimes that just aren't super easy. Um, so I think asking yourself, just some questions like, how would I feel if I was receiving this news? Like if it's a new patient with perio, you know, and I actually, I had a new patient, um, lot week before last, she had never had a cavity. She never had decay before. And it had been a couple of years since she'd been in, but I had to share with her that she had active perio with seven cavities and she really needed her thirds extracted because that's where some of the decay was. And I could tell she was very overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. obviously. And so instead of like just keeping on talking about, you know, all the situations we're seeing, you know, that's when you check in and say, how are you feeling? I know this is a lot of information. I know this is really hard. Tell me how you're feeling about this Mm -hmm. and really just checking in and, and reassuring her that we don't have to do all of it right this minute. We can, we can work through this. We can figure this out. Um, but, but we really did. And the doctor and I both just kind of sat with her in it and talked about how she was feeling about it. And you could see it really brought her to a place of acceptance. And she was like, okay, I hear this. I, I'm not happy about it, but how do we, how do we move forward? And that's where we want people to be. Right. Um, asking yourself, what would I be afraid of? What would make this news easier to deal? How would, what would make this news easier to deal with? How would I manage this financially? I just think there's, you know, putting ourselves and asking ourselves, it's so easy in our hygiene world of moving quickly and getting the assessments done and sharing the information and trying to have enough time to do the treatment. It's stressful and it's hard sometimes to take this step back, but I think it's so, so important for really meeting our patients where they're at and Mm -hmm. really, really creating lifelong patients. Yeah, I really, I kind of want to give some examples of what talking through these questions ourselves, because I think that it's a good exercise for us all to do. And I just want to kind of give examples. So like actually answering the question, how would I feel if I was receiving this news? Like, so I just think of, thankfully, like I haven't had a lot of medical news that was completely unexpected and completely like painful or shocking, or, you know, I haven't, I haven't had a lot of bad medical news, but I do think back to like, even when I was a kid and I found out that I was legally blind in my, in one of my eyes, or I found out that I needed orthognathic surgery instead of just braces, or I had a huge ovarian cyst that I didn't know was there. And I was wondering why I was in pain. And it was just like, you know, especially in that scenario, like a patient coming in in pain, not knowing what's wrong 
and then getting the news, like there's all the emotions of like, I was scared of like what could possibly be there. I was like embarrassed because it had been like two years since I had had like a, a normal wellness visit, like a pap smear or anything. So I felt shame about that. And then going in and like, I probably did something wrong. Like, you know, right, right. there's a lot of like feelings that I was going in with in that scenario, like feeling like I could have been the cause of this. And then like, if anyone would have met me without empathy and just with like cold disposition or with, you know, even kind of insensitive or rude, or like, they're just in a hurry. They don't really care. This isn't sensitive news to them. It's sensitive to me. Like if, if I would have sensed any of that, I think it would have been a completely terrible experience. You know, thankfully, um, like my practitioners were very empathetic. They took time to explain things to me. They showed me things that kind of walked me through it. They asked me what questions I had, you know, and, and even still, I felt like very vulnerable, like, oh my God, this is like my hell. Like what, right. what needs to happen next? I just didn't know. I'd never been in this scenario before. And I know that this is a really common condition. A lot of people get cysts and, and issues, you know, right. but I had never been through it. It was new to me, yep. you know? So like, that's the situation with a lot of our patients, like, especially, some of the examples that you've given like a person with their first cavity or like, you know, we've seen people with hundreds, not hundreds, but like a lot of cavities, you know? Um, and to the person with their first cavity, it might be a huge deal. Like we've seen this millions of times, a lot of times, and just like, it's not the same situation to every single person. And then the question, like, what would I be afraid of? Like one, not being able to solve the problem. Like, what if I go to this doctor and they don't know what's wrong? Um, to what if, what if we know what's wrong, but we can't solve the problem? What if it means something terrible is going to happen and, and I'm going to die or you know, something terrible, like all these fears, what if I can't afford it? Yep. What if like, whatever the treatment is, is incapacitating, you know, it costs me time from work. It costs me money. It costs me time with my family and my friends. What, what would make this news easier to deal with just being given that time and space to feel my feelings and process the information. So not being rushed to um, making a decision, yeah. not being rushed to have to understand the information that you're giving me, you know, how would I manage this financially? It would depend on what the situation is, but like, think of someone who maybe wasn't anticipating this either does or doesn't have medical insurance. Maybe they have to find out how they can take money out of their retirement account. Maybe they have to, you know, start saving money now. Maybe they have to take out a credit card. Maybe they, you know, we don't know what someone's situation is. So like rushing them through that can also be insensitive, you know, and then what would I be afraid of all the things? Well, that's repetitive, but all the things that we just talked about, right. You know, so I think if we walk through it for ourselves as practitioners, I think it's a lot easier to understand where patients are coming from in their specific position. Like in regards to going to a different doctor, like I'm not there every day. I don't see what they deal with. I don't know what the norm is, but in dentistry I do. Right. So it's not a big deal to me, but like just thinking of this situation that was foreign to me where I felt completely vulnerable and had no idea and wasn't the educated person in the scenario, like thinking of what would have helped me and walking through that for me. And I think for each of us can be incredibly empowering and impactful for how we do interact with our patients in those scenarios. Yeah. 100%. Hey, Bulletproof Hygiene listeners. We have some big, exciting news. We are proud to announce that our 2022 summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee, June 3rd and 4th. Come join us for a weekend of growth, learning, and collaboration. We'll be taking deep dives into team culture, leadership, hygiene systems, and patient care and education that bring fulfillment, 
career success, and practice profitability. This course has the potential to change the trajectory of your career and help you practice at the top of your game. If you missed us in 2021, trust us, you don't want to miss this. Visit BulletproofSummit.com to get all the details and observe your spot. We can't wait to see you there. So we want to give some steps for what empathy looks like and how we can practice this really well. And the first is asking open-ended questions because we did a a podcast not long ago about making assumptions Mm -hmm. and we know it is so easy to assume that we know things that we really don't know. So instead of being curious and open-minded, we don't always leave room for people to really tell us about what's going on with them because we make assumptions based on our personal histories and or their old patterns. And this approach shuts down communication and sometimes the ability to be truly empathetic. So asking open-ended questions, you know, like you're sitting there talking to a patient, you're sharing, you know, all of this information, you know, just checking in. How are you feeling about what I'm telling you today? What questions do you have? I know I just gave you a lot of information. What do you, what are you thinking? What do you have, you know, what do you need me to answer for you? Mm -hmm. How can I make this easier for you? That's a great question. How would you like to move forward? I always say that giving the patient the control is everything. You know, it is their mouth. We work for them. So when you give them all this information, letting them kind of lead and guide it, like, hey, where do you want to go from here? How would you like to move forward? And what concerns do you have about this? That's a, that's a great one. If people are not really don't seem to be jiving with what you're saying, if they seem checked out or not really engaging, that would, that's a really great one is, hey, tell me, do you have concerns about what I'm, what I'm telling you today? Mm -hmm. And, and being yeah. quiet and letting them answer. Yeah. And I, I want to say back to like us making assumptions based on our past experiences, like that's not a wrong thing right. at it's all. Natural. It's, it's very it's natural. very natural. And it's like, we're, we're constantly having to make quick judgments every single day. So we have to make judgments. Like, do I want to go left or right? You know, based on my past experience, when I went this route, it was good. And when I went this route, there was a ton of traffic. Like we make those decisions all the time, every single day. So it's not wrong to do that as long as we're um, actively like thinking of the fact that there are other options that could be the case also. Like there are other avenues that could be better, you know, better. Like, so coming to everything with that awareness and like with our past experiences in mind, but with the, uh, my brain's working at half speed today, sorry. With like the realization that there could be alternative things or there could be other things. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll know better once we ask those questions and fill in those things we don't know. hundred percent. So obviously if we're going to ask opening questions, then the next step would be listening deeply and active listening is a skill, honestly, that few possess. Um, As our attention spans become shorter, we have lost the art of giving undivided attention to each other for more than 90 seconds at a time. When we allow ourselves to be fully present for one another, we enhance our capacity for empathy. Listening deeply means listening with your whole being. Pay attention to what is being said and not said, and watch what one's body language is also saying. So obviously, I feel like this goes without saying, but I think it's relevant to say is in order to do this, we've got to talk less. And I know it can be really tempting to continue talking in an effort to convince, persuade, and show our patients what we see, know, and understand. 
And if we feel uncomfortable with a patient's grief response, it's normal to try and fill that space with more explaining. If you know you've educated to understanding, then stop talking mm-hmm. and listen to what and listen to what your patient is saying. Ask good questions to bring them to their own conclusions and understanding. We can't be empathetic feeling with them if we're talking so much that we don't know how they feel. So we've got to focus on active listening. We often slip into passive listening where we may be listening, but our attention is on ourselves and how we will respond Mm -hmm. versus active listening, which is where we put our attention on the other person and how they're feeling and what they're saying. And I think this is an art. This is a skill. This takes work and focus and intention. Um, Because again, in the quickness of our operatory, it's very easy to kind of want to just spout out, you know, what we do know so that we can move things along instead of really listening to what they're saying. I mean, I'm sure we've all had times where we've informed a patient of bad news and they like had a really um, exacerbated response. Like maybe they started crying. I've had this happen before. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm like, Uh, it's only one cavity. It doesn't, that's not that big of a deal. But then they start sharing that they've had a really bad week and they've got a family member who's sick and maybe they're looking at losing their job. And it's not even about that one cavity. It's just more bad news on what they've already, on top of what they've already been going through. So that's me as a patient, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Like my hair looks bad today. (laughs) I'm bad at my husband. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Everybody brings in their own story and their own baggage and their own stuff. So we, we have to be empathetic to not just what we're telling them, but what they have going on in their lives. Cause it all put it all, it's a puzzle piece that all fits together. Next is picking up on the vibes. Um, we are all empaths on some level. And although some of us are more sensitive than others, we all have the capacity to feel things. We don't have to hear someone express that they are in a bad mood to figure out by the temperature of the room. Meditating is one way to open ourselves up to the energy around us, but simply paying attention can help you make sound decisions about how to approach sensitive matters. We can inadvertently communicate a lack of empathy by being tone deaf to what's taking place around us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I know it's really easy to just kind of gloss over. And especially, you know, I have developed a lot of verbiage for our team to use. And and that is to facilitate us, you know, working in a timely manner and being able to communicate information effectively and concisely. Um, But we have to be careful that we don't just rush through that. And it's, you know, each It is never a cookie cutter approach. It's not, you know, this, this, this for every single patient. Like, you know, you see eight patients a day, every single encounter is drastically different. Mm -hmm. And even though we might use similar verbiage and information, it has to be tailored to each patient. And I think just reading their vibe, reading their body language, listening to their tone of voice, are they making eye contact? Do they seem engaged? All of that's really, really, really important. And, and rushing can prevent us from doing that. Yeah. And I think that this is a really important point because we are all on a timeline every single day. And going back to the fact that this is all familiar information to us that we're constantly presenting over and over, maybe in, in you know, pivoted or slightly different ways, like we're presenting differently per patient and for their needs and for 
their how they learn and how they process information and how emotional they are like but rushing can foster mistrust and skepticism such an important thing to remember especially for people who are naturally fast-paced like you and I are both fast-paced like we were right. quickly and, and yeah. that's like a personality thing too I just took culture I just had a culture index training and learned about like different people and how our paces differ so significantly but like if you're naturally a quick person who's less patient, like when you're talking to a person who is slower paced and they have more patience or they, they just, they just move more slowly. They want to process things and take more time rushing. It can really harm the relationship between you and that person. It can kill the rapport and it can kill like their willingness or ability to process the information that you're trying to give them. So taking a step back, taking a pause, not getting treatment started the same day in some instances is like the best thing you can do for that patient. Yeah. Well, you just said a really important sentence. I feel like you said rushing can foster mistrust and skepticism. Mm -hmm. And in dentistry, mistrust and skepticism are two of the biggest roadblocks to patients moving forward with treatment. Yeah. It's the two things that we cannot afford. Yeah. 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 So, so slow down, you know, mirror and matching. We talked that talked about that before. If you have a patient that just is a little slower and how they speak and how they are processing, you got to slow down with them. It's really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another way to really practice great empathy is to find commonalities between yourself and others. Um, and honestly, this takes getting to know your patient and what they value. This is where mirroring and matching come into play. We've got to intentionally make connections with our patients as we progress through our appointment. And we can do this by sharing what we have in common. And we said many times before that people tend to like people that are like them. So spend your appointment time engaging your patients and drawing similarities. And this is an art and obviously takes practice. And so if you have a patient that is that is really nothing like you, obviously this can be hard, Mm -hmm. but you can still put yourself in their position based on what you're telling them. So asking yourself how you would feel if you were being told these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's I do want to talk about what empathy is not. Because I think it's easy to fall into some of these patterns. So I I think it's important to think through these as well. Um, Obviously, empathy is not telling people how they should feel. Um, Showing empathy means making room for people to be who they, to be where they are and who they are. Even when you have a strong opinion about how someone should or shouldn't feel, empathy is allowing a person to express their feelings without judgment. There is no should when it comes to feelings. We feel what we feel and we are allowed to do that. So when we start dictating what a person should be feeling, it can cause them to shut down or feel shame. And this is a big deal in dentistry. Mm -hmm. And I've heard providers do this before where they'll say, oh, you know, this isn't, this, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's just one filling, you know, it's not very expensive. It won't take very long. And you just totally undermined anything that patient was feeling. Right. And And if, if, Sorry, continue. Go ahead. ahead. No, what I was thinking is, you know, whenever we get to the point where we're feeling shame about something, like try and think in your own life when feeling ashamed of yourself has ever empowered you to take action. Like probably never, you know what I mean? Like, like shame is disempowering. Like it takes away. It's, it is like a shutdown emotion. It's not like a, let's move through this and let's problem solve and whatever. So if we are, you know, we often shame ourselves for feeling our own feelings and that keeps us stuck in those feelings, like even longer than we otherwise would. Like if we could just accept like our own grief, our own mourning, our own, um, you know, anger, our own sadness, our own, 
whatever, like if we could accept that instead of judging ourselves for feeling that way, we would just move past those emotions. Right. Like, so imagine if we did that for our patients, like the second that we tell them you shouldn't feel this way, the way that you feel is wrong. Like they're they're done. Like they're not, they're not going to move forward. They're not going to be empowered to make decisions. Like maybe even at a future appointment, because you've just lost rapport with that patient. Right. You know, so like adding shame to our emotions doesn't help us. Like we can, we can do a couple of things with emotions. Like the quicker that we can accept our feelings and just process them and just be where we are, the quicker that we can move into other feelings and have other experiences and be present in those other experiences. Like the more we judge, we have judgment around what we're feeling and where we currently are. And like that feeling of like, I'm not in the right place in life. I'm, I'm, I'm far behind other people. I'm too far ahead. I'm too this, I'm too that, whatever that keeps us stuck, you know? So like just being able to move past and just say like, this is okay for me to feel sad. It's okay for me to feel sad. It's okay for me to not know what to do right now. Right. It's okay for me to just feel this way. This isn't a self-pity thing. This isn't a victim thing. This isn't, I want to stay just sitting in my dirty diaper. This is like, I feel this way. I accept that I feel this way. One day I won't feel this way. Um, let me look at what I can do to, to move forward. Right. Kind of While I am feeling this way, it's all okay. Like one of the most powerful yeah. things I ever learned to do through like a therapy type of thing was saying, I feel blank and I'm okay. And I'm okay. So like you can be sad and okay and still functioning and still having life and you feel sad. It's okay. You know? Right. So just like learning how to do that and function and process and move forward. Right. And, and enabling our patients to have that opportunity too. Yeah. Well, and I think a good point to make here is like, as I was preparing for this, part of my brain is thinking like telling people how they should feel is wrong. And that just sounds mean. Why would anybody do that? Mm-hmm. But I then thought further and think, you know, I see how we do this a mm-hmm. lot. And is and it's honestly because we're trying to make them feel better right? or feel like what we're telling them isn't as scary as they think it is. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and I think there is a place for that. If, you know, you've got some uh, somebody who's super anxious about something is, you know, giving them comfort that, hey, this, this is actually going to be a, a fairly easy procedure and very straightforward and we'll make sure you're very comfortable and those kind of things. But to tell somebody, oh, no, you shouldn't be worried about this. It's no big deal. Like right. we're trying to make them feel better, but we're invalidating what they're feeling and we're right. creating that shame and shutdown. So, and again, that's a lot about us. Yes. Like, I'm uncomfortable with yes. this person's feelings right now. Like that's, it's selfish if we think about it, yes. you know, like yeah. I'm uncomfortable with the way you feel. So I'm going to rush you through this emotion. Like, hurry up. You shouldn't be feeling that way. You're making me uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Well, that leads right to our next point of what empathy is not, and it's not avoiding uncomfortable silence. So most of us instinctively avoid uncomfortable moments of silence. In fact, we dislike silence and conversation so much that we give it its own name, awkward silence. But here's the thing. Just because silence feels awkward doesn't mean it's bad. Mm -hmm. Silence is actually essential for meaningful communication. When you don't leave room for silence, you don't leave room for understanding or processing. It may feel uncomfortable to you, but it's a true gift to someone who's upset and struggling. The time and space to be with their struggles instead of feeling they need to answer someone immediately or have the answers immediately. Um, If the silence is going on for too long, take the opportunity to check in with your patient. Tell me how you're feeling right now. Does this issue concern you? Tell me what you're concerned about here. How can I help you with this? So I think, again, you know, and I said this earlier that 
I know we're trying to rush and hurry because we don't have a lot of time, but there's also, there is that aspect of feeling uncomfortable to just sit in silence. Yeah. And I think we have to practice that. It is, it's a beautiful thing, actually. I do it all the way home every day from work. (laughs) (laughs) It's called my mental health. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then another thing is trivializing what someone is going through. When trying to make someone feel better, we may say things like, oh, that's no big deal. And although you may think you are helping, remarks like this may make light of an issue that feels really big to someone else. And empathy is not minimizing someone else's feelings. It can be easy to think a single area of decay isn't a big deal because of our experience. And we've seen patients with decay in every tooth. But to this person who has their first cavity, it can be really disappointing. To a patient with high dental anxiety, it can be really scary. And to a patient that puts a high value on their total health and wellness, it can be really depressing. And all of those feelings are normal and healthy based on where they're coming from. We've got to be careful not to blow things off when phrases like, with phrases like, it could be worse, or it's really not that bad, or it's no big deal. We see so much worse, trust me. Mm-hmm. Those, those are all um, not, not real helpful. It just makes it, makes it feel like what we're telling them is, is not a big deal, and they might feel like it really is a big deal. And honestly, they may need to feel like it's a big deal so that they will move forward. Mm-hmm. So conversely, some examples of empathetic statements would include, I'd feel the same way if I were you. No wonder you're upset. It sounds like you were really hurt or confused, or frustrated. You make total sense. I support where you are right now. That hurts me to hear. Oh, wow, that sounds really terrible. I wish I could have been with you at that moment. I'm here with you. I wish you didn't have to go through this. I understand how you feel. So those are really great statements you can make when you're trying to step into an issue with them. Um, Another way that we can be non-empathetic is trying, and I know this is going to sound odd because we exist to fix problems, but trying to fix someone else's problem. So as well-intentioned as you may be, trying to fix other people's problems is not a display of empathy. Although resolution may be welcomed, Empathy is less about the solution and more about appreciation for the circumstances at hand. Yeah. Um, It goes back to wanting to be understood. Yes. Before we start problem solving, wanting, wanting to feel validated and know that someone hears us and sees us where we are. So I think this is like a very common, like relational struggle. Like when you tell your spouse or you tell your best friend, like about your terrible day or like your terrible minute, your terrible hour, whatever it was. a a bad experience that you had or something that you perceived was like traumatic or embarrassing or sad or whatever. And they're like, Oh, well, let's fix it. Instead of being like, Oh, wow, that that's really hard. Like, are you okay? Like, do do you want to talk about this more? What, what do you need right now? We jump to like, Oh, you have a problem. It's loving for me to solve it for you. Like when, when we start, first of all, when we skip over that validation part, the person usually can't hear what we're saying anyway. 
Like they're not ready to hear solutions. They're, they just, they're, they, they're not even like emotionally ready to, to get there yet or to go there yet. Like maybe, or maybe they are, if they're asking you for a solution or for your opinion or your advice or something, that's a different situation. But like making sure that that's where the person is before we start talking about those things is important. And what I have learned, like I come from a, an interesting like upbringing where there was a real like lack of boundaries. You know, when I grew up, there was a lack of like, this is where I begin and you end. This is where my responsibility ends and you begin. This is where my emotions end and you begin. There was a lot of like blurred, you know, like lack of boundaries, lack of understanding of who I am and independence and people's identities and things. So it made this really, really confusing. And I learned that love was like solving your problem for you and caring more about your problem than you do and doing things for you. Like, that is not, it's not loving. It's not empowering. It doesn't help the person, you know, that's kind of like giving a person a fish instead of teaching them to fish, you know, like when you, it's, it's similar to that, you know, like whenever I'm caring more about your problem than you do, or more about trying to fix it than you do, we've stepped into this place of codependency and it's not good for anyone. Like no one's learning to fish. No one's actually solving a problem because no one has validated the problem in the first place, you know? So it's like, stopping trying to fix a person and remembering that their current situation or their current feelings don't need to be fixed until they're ready to fix it. Right. Like they've got to want to fix it. It's like trying to help an addict who doesn't want help. You can't, you can't help them. You can't help someone who isn't ready to be helped. Correct. And it's okay. You know, just, just taking that realization into these situations. Yeah. And I think when you prioritize problems over people, you make people feel like problems. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and eventually, obviously, especially coming to us professionally, um, people may want to take advantage of our brilliant insights and stellar problem, problem solving abilities. But in the moment of acceptance and realization that there is a problem and, you know, letting them feel through that when they're scared or mad or upset, they usually just want to be heard. And they want to feel like you're there for them and that you understand. They want to feel like they're not alone in their suffering. So when you immediately jump into problem solving mode, it's invalidating. It makes people feel like they're the problem or that it's wrong for them to be having problems. Mm -hmm. Your analysis might be technically correct, but that might not be what they need at that moment. And when people are struggling, they want connection, not information. I want to say that again. When people are struggling, they want connection, not information. Mm -hmm. So when you've shared some bad news with that patient and you can see that they're, it's not going over well, you're reading that vibe and they're, you can tell they're having a hard time. Stop sharing more information and check in with how they're feeling about things and be empathetic toward that. Um, Put your problem. If you want to be more empathetic, put your problem solving abilities on hold and focus on the person across from you and what they really need. Difficult emotions are not problems to be fixed. Brittany just said this, and I totally agree with it. They're experiences to be validated. Um, And when you care, when something you care about is suffering emotionally, it's natural to want to alleviate that suffering and help them feel better. And obviously, as healthcare providers, we are here to help fix issues and solve problems. But empathy and understanding must precede advice and problem solving. Don't try to fix it until the patient has owned it and asks about or welcomes solution. Um, Another thing that empathy is not, and we're very good about this, just in human nature in general, is making someone else's issue about you. 
And again, we talk about this all the time. When patients say no, we tend to internalize that and make that make us make us run it through the me filter of, well, I'm not enough. And I didn't say the right thing and I didn't do enough and they don't like me. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, You know, it's easy to think that we know what a person is experiencing because we have been through something similar Mm -hmm. to help. We forget that everyone's experience is unique. Although you may be able to relate, it doesn't make you the authority on the matter because the individual in distress may still be experiencing the situation differently. For example, two people who have gone through breakups may have completely different reactions, although the circumstances surrounding the breakups were similar. Right. And like, so this can be kind of tricky, I think, to navigate because we know that people like people like them. So I think that we want to be like, oh, yeah, I experienced that, too. Like, I'm like you. We're alike here. And we're trying to maybe build rapport. But I think it's important to do that, like when a person is in a place for that or like when they when they've moved into the place where they're like they're open to hearing about your experience now and I think that you know we do just like we use our past experiences to make judgments about what's going on right now instead of getting curious and asking questions it's easy to assume that like oh I've been through this experience I know what you're experiencing this is exactly how I handled it and what I wanted in this experience and while that's all valuable information it's important that we continue to be curious and see like okay do we actually have as many similarities in the situation as i'm thinking we do right. like maybe i can you know ask more questions be like what are what are you thinking what are you feeling what do you need right now because it might not be the same as what i needed in that scenario or what i was thinking in that scenario or what i was worried about in that scenario so just it's it's again like a balance and like a, a balancing act. It's a learning curve. You know, we're always going to make mistakes because everyone is so different. Like in communication, it's always going to be a learning experience, but just knowing that we shouldn't jump to, yeah, I've been through this too. So it was exactly the same. Yep. Is it, it isn't the case either. Like we can share, like I had a similar experience or I, you know, have been through something that reminds me of the situation. If a person's ready to kind of hear that, but just remembering like everyone is unique. We have similarities. Doesn't mean that I totally get it and understand without having to ask any questions. Right. Maintaining curiosity in all of this. There's part of me that wants to put a really pretty written sticky note in the back of my operatory behind where my patient can see it that says it's not about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we constantly need that reminder. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, you know, obviously empathy is, is, not uh, being unresponsive to someone's pain. Um, We all operate differently when it comes to identifying, verbalizing, or expressing what we feel. Emotional intelligence varies according to several factors, including gender, cultural background, upbringing, trauma history, age, and genetic predisposition. And although you may have a hard time expressing empathy verbally, you can use nonverbal cues to express, I'm here with you. Being unresponsive to someone's pain can be viewed as cold. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, pain is sometimes unavoidable for our patients, depending on their conditions and scenarios. So thankfully, with today's technology, we have a lot of options at our disposal to help minimize pain and discomfort. Um, People have different levels of pain and thresholds, and we've got to step out of judgment and do all we can to keep our patients comfortable and at ease. And this is just a random fact, and I I don't know if you've run across this, but I've been practicing long enough to learn that redheads in general are typically more um, sensitive 
Yeah. Like their, their skin is sensitive, their teeth are sensitive. And, um, you know, that that's a kind of a funny conversation I've had when, you know, I have a redhead, I had a patient not long ago and she's like, yeah, I just, I just, and my teeth are really sensitive. And I, she was, uh, had tried whitening and she just couldn't manage it. And I said, you know, I don't know if you find this to be true, but I know a lot of my redheaded patients tend to be more sensitive. She's like, oh my gosh, yes, that is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, it, it can get easy to judge sometimes again, because of what we do all day, you have some of those patients that are really hyper responsive mm-hmm. and it's easy to like, be like, oh my gosh, they're being a baby about this. Just chill out. It's fine. But for them, it isn't fine. Right. And we have to step out of that judgment and do what we can to make them comfortable. That's really, really important because the things we do every day can cause pain. Right. So yeah. I just think that, you know, empathy is a beautiful way to connect to others and show that we care about each other. And as simple as it may be, it goes a long way to make a difference in how we experience life. And I know that's why we are all here. You know, if you are taking the time to listen to our podcast, obviously you care about what you do um, and how you, you know, relate to your patients and connect and care for them. So um, I, hopefully this has been helpful to everybody in just kind of thinking through how we can be more empathetic and how we can meet our patients' needs better. Um, I always want to roll this into saying, you know, use this on your team as well. I mean, this is, this is really a life thing. We can, all of these are important for all of life. Um, Brittany, do you have any final thoughts for us? I mean, I don't think so. This has been one of my favorite episodes because I love, like you, I love psychology and I love learning about how to communicate and how to like build relationships and understand people better, you know, so I think it's been incredibly insightful and I hope that it was insightful for everyone. You know, I think this was a really important episode, especially for anyone who's been practicing a long time because we've become, I know speaking for myself, like desensitized to some things, you know, to people's pain and to how sensitive a person is and their pain thresholds and like, you know, different responses to different scenarios. And I can think of some situations where like, I, I totally have like passed judgment and have realized like, wow, that person, they were just having their own experience. You know, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the 10 people before them who didn't react the same way or respond the same way. It is about, you know, each individual person. And I think it's a really great reminder for us to just remember this. Like we're all humans. Remember our experiences, like in places where we've been uncomfortable and remember that the dentist is like a foreign place for a lot of our patients. Yeah. It's, not, it's not their home where they go to yeah. every day for work and they're not familiar with all the things we're talking about, you know? Absolutely. Well, on that note, I want to say that, you know, obviously we're talking about how to connect with others better. Mm -hmm. And on that front, we would love to have you come connect with us either in person, which is the best way um, (laughs) at our summit in Nashville in 2022. It will be June 3rd and 4th. Um, You can go to bulletproofsummit.com and get more information on that. Or come join us on our Mighty Network. It is a free app. You just download from the App Store, Mighty Network, and then search Bulletproof Hygiene and come get to know us. Um, there's a lot of you who have, who have joined up with the network, but I haven't heard from you yet. We, we want to hear from you. We want to know what do you want to hear more of on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what topics do you want to cover? What are you struggling with? What are you winning at? Um, we really want this to be a community thing that we're all pushing each other forward and growing and making the dental community awesome. So we hope that everyone has a great week. Thank you for your time today and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye everybody. Have a great week. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.